everybody. Hello. We were just talking about how patience is hard. Patience is very hard. Not like patience in a hospital, but like patience, like take your time. Mm-hmm. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Um, well, it is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Boss Bitch. Welcome to our home. We are here um, live. Well, we're in, in Mark Barron's house. We are. He <laughs> doesn't know we're sale. here, though. <laughs> he doesn't know we're here. Yeah, we just we broke, broke in. in. <laughs> Sounds the same, though, doesn't it? Yeah. We're it's just going to... the same. I'm sitting where Obama sat. And I'm sitting where Mark always sits. I'm, I'm eating a, a lozenge. Mm-hmm. I'm petting a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Mark would love this bit. He right. would love this bit if he even knew that we were here. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. It smells like him. It There's l- fun posters on the wall. Yeah. It's the nice garage. Whoa, Highland Park. <sighs> Highland Park is where it's out. Where it's at. What? <laughs> what? All right, happened? we're busted. Okay, we're not there at all. <laughs> we got us. Guys, you believed us for a second, though, didn't you? Yes. We're, they were like, sorry, we took you for a ride. Wait, is Mark Marin going to be in this episode? No, because we don't no. we don't interview men, and this no. is not an interview episode men. anyway. Nah. <laughs> no, there's two things wrong with that. God, use your brain. Yeah, I hate you. Sorry, we don't mean to berate you. No. It's just that you're the only thing that we love. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I'm glad we got through that. Me too. Oh, that was geez. hard. That was very hard. That was it was a lot. And you know what? Life is a roller coaster. I want to ride it all night long. That was two different things. How about that? But you know what? It works. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you, Rebecca? I'm good. Uh, I have to say, and maybe you gleaned this from our last little Mark Maron bit. I've been watching a lot of Vanderpump Rules. Uh, why would we glean Mark <laughs> Maron? For, is he on there? I feel like I w- that was the most dramatic opener I've ever done. Oh. I feel like I'm getting very dramatic. Like I yes. want. Like I'm okay. I was talking to a friend. And he was like. I, talk, I was talking to a friend and his girlfriend, and he was like, oh, the bartender, she. And I was like, who is she? <laughs> What's her name? What, how long did you talk? Like, I'm immediately a garbage person. because that, That's what inundated. happens with those shows, you guys. I know. I just want to throw drinks in people's faces. I want to wear statement necklaces. You know what? There's nothing wrong with a statement necklace. And sometimes, sometimes you just need to throw shit. Mm-hmm. I feel like Always. I, I threw shit a lot in my 20s. Yeah. It's pretty satisfying. It's so satisfying. I've watched way too much of this, though. Oh, way too much. You Have you ever seen breaks? It? I haven't, but I mm-hmm. did used to. This is my connection to Vanderpump Rules. Excellent. I used to work at the Brighton Coffee Shop in Beverly Hills, California, which was across the street from Villa Blanca, <gasps> which is also owned by, by Lisa Vanderpump. Ba- Lisa That's Vanderpump right. and her husband, whose name escapes me, but he used to come in almost Ken, every morning. Ken Todd. Yes, Ken. Ken Todd. He would come in with their dogs and he would order two eggs over medium and fresh bacon. Mm-hmm. Fresh bacon. You're like, I guess I won't give you the old shit bacon. Well, I mean, in his defense, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a warranted it's a warranted order. Villa Blanca. Villa Blanca. That's where you take your wife. Yes, sir is where you take your mistress. Oh. <laughs> so Vanderpump Rules. Do they fo- which one do they focus on? Both or it's mostly sir. sir. Yeah, um, but they have people from Villa Blanca come to work at Sir. Mm. That's when they introduce. Got um, it. But yeah, did you ever eat there? Did you ever? Not when I worked there, but mm-hmm. then, oh, deep cut, guys. <laughs> <laughs> One time when my bestie Donnie mm-hmm. was visiting, we went to brunch there and it was empty. Empty. Wow. There's nobody there on like a Sunday. In, in Villa Blanca's defense, nobody brunches in downtown Beverly Hills no. on Sundays. It's a ghost town. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, 
But still, you were like, it was like a yeah. I mean, this is like tumbleweed. Her, yeah, it was weird. Hmm. Um, was the food good? Food was fine. It was yeah. passable. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's all about the Vanderpumps. I agree. Own it and that's that's that. I agree, but also like, how can you keep things without making money? money. I looked because I'm I can't wait to go to Sir mm-hmm. to dine. I was like, oh, it must be really expensive. No, it's only two dollars signs on really. Yelp. Yeah, I was like. I mean, I know the food is going to be shit. Yeah, it's gonna be like lame as fuck. It's going to be touristy, but uh-huh. it's kind of it's kind of awesome doing touristy stuff as a local. Sometimes I agree. I'm going to have a pumptini. Oh my god, is, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. A pumptini. She has her own vodka. She does. Yeah. A Do pumptini is um. What's her? Is Bethany Frankel? Does she feel ripped skinny. off? I love skinny girl shit. <laughs> I've never had it. It's really good. Is it? And it's very low in calories. And it's not very sweet. And like, I is, mean, is it like a mixed drink, Skinny Girl? No, it's a it's a line of alcohols, fitness alcohol. Yeah, fitness. <laughs> it's alcohol for for skinny for people fitness, for workouts. It's what you drink Put when you work bottle. out. Yeah, I mean that sounds actually delightful. Yeah, no, her margarita mix because again, I because I am older now and I become garbage after two drinks mm-hmm, same her margarita mix is actually like pretty great because it's not super sugary and yeah low in calories bethany frankel will you sponsor us come on girl <laughs> let's do this we will mm-hmm. skinny girl vodka seems very on brand for our feminist history for <laughs> sure listen looks we first, will profile you second. on this if we get sponsorship <laughs> but only if we get but sponsorship. Only. i want just a fucking army of skinny girl vodkas yeah. I mean, what a brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. They sell it at TJ Maxx. <laughs> of course they do. She's a Maxinista. You can tell. You can definitely tell. You We're can all Maxinista at heart. We are. Aren't we? I think so. I think definitely. I mean, I grew up pretty I, much next to a TJ Maxx. And I so. I still love going there, mm-hmm. getting fuzzy blankets. Oh, hell yeah. Socks. Exactly. You're like, do Old. I need this face mask? Yes, the, the answer is always yeah, yes. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Burlington Coat Factory, get the fuck out. Fuck. <laughs> also, Marshalls. Marshalls. Oh, my God. Is my mom here? <laughs> like, I feel like my mom senses. You say Marshalls three times and both our moms appear. Do <laughs> so you can hear their keys and earrings and jangling. Yep, yep. <laughs> Suddenly, this room is full of floral patterns and That's passive-aggressive right. smiles. That's right. It smells vaguely of leather, but it's fake leather yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Exactly. Anyway, hi, Mom. Hi. She doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah. We should interview them. We should. On Mother's Day. Oh, my God. I forgot to. I, want, <laughs> I was thinking about this. April Fool's is coming up. And I was like, we should have just made up. <laughs> moms? <laughs> or. or <laughs> made, up, made up moms. <laughs> Two for <a> double win. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we interview my mom, thinking. you literally cannot believe a word that she says about me. She insisted I was allergic to cats the last time she visited. <laughs> I am not allergic to cats. I've been around your cat, Rebecca, correct? Yeah, you have. Am I allergic to no. nubbins? No, you're not. No, you're I'm not. not. You're not. I'm not. Wow. Well, she's a hoot. What's truth and what's fiction? True. If it's her episode, it's kind of her rules. That's so. true. <laughs> like she gets to say what she wants. She will tell you that I have the IQ of a genius. Whether That's that right. can My mom will be. also say that I'm a genius. Fuck, maybe uh, what are we doing? Sorry, moms. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You really uh, proved you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me who I am, mom. I am going to be a comedian. I know. Anyway. Yeah, we will have to do that. Yeah. Anyway, I was thinking we could do a made up someone for April 1st, but we're beyond that. And it doesn't come out on a Sunday, which is oh, that's April true. 1st, so what am I saying and thinking why? Well, we could just have a friend who makes up somebody and we interview them in character. 
True. That would be fun anyway. True. But it's coming up. I know. These are all great ideas for next year. Next year. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, guys. Hi. Hi. What we do, (laughs) aside from talk shit about our moms Mm -hmm. and um, Bethany Frankel, we didn't talk Mm -hmm. shit about her, though. No, we were were pro her. Yeah. Yeah. We're anti-moms. We gave her... But there are millions of followers. They're yes. all gonna they're millions. Like skinny girl. Bye. Yeah. Um, but we're also gonna talk about some lost boss bitches. We certainly are. Um, these are the episodes where we talk about ladies who we don't feel like are talked about enough in history. Not at all. And we want to shine a light on them. That's correct. So, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that now. Starting right now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rebex, do you want to start? start? I'm a star. Get in there. Okay, so I have Madam C.J. Walker. Yes! Yeah, you know her? She's, I know the name. Great. Well, you're going to learn a lot more. Can't wait. About her. I had no idea who she was, but I th- find her fascinating. I For at, at, for a second, I was like, Madam Tussauds. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. That's <laughs> we not, should do Madam Tussauds. We should. Though. I have no idea. She's any- real, right? She's a real person? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Well, see, this is why we do this. Yeah, exactly. We can get to the bottom of women. Are they real? Are they not not real? (laughs) We don't know. We're going to find out. Yeah. We're going to Google and find out. Exactly. (laughs) And tell you about it. Going to look at some Wikipedia. Don't know if you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, continue. she She is known as the first black woman millionaire in America. And for her really successful line of hair care products. Yes, which queen. made her that. And she and t- very, very active um, in the African-American community. Like, huge. She's just, like, philanthropist. Great. She was born uh, the Sarah Breedlove, which is close to Madam C.J. Walker. For sure. <laughs> yep. Um, the daughter of Louisiana sharecroppers. Her parents and her older siblings were... Um, slaves and she was the first child of her family born into freedom after the emancipation proclamation was signed amazing uh-huh her mother died possibly from cholera in Ugh. 1872 and her father remarried but then he died so no. she was essentially orphaned at like six or seven um and then moved to mississippi to work as a domestic and stay with her um step family step person yeah. step mom fun fact about mississippi real quick if mm-hmm. i could interject absolutely uh there was a ask reddit um that i read yesterday that was mm-hmm. reddit what is the worst state in <gasps> the i mean United God, there's States. so many to choose from a mississippi mississippi is number one wow every even people from mississippi were like yeah mississippi Get sucks out. wow i guess at least florida is like interesting and florida has beaches mm-hmm and Disney World. Mm-hmm. And weird alligator shit. Exactly. Mississippi yeah. is like the lowest with education. Yeah. The fattest. The, I, yeah. So anyway, continue. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Sorry. Sorry, Mississippi. Sorry, Madam C.J. Walker. Ugh. Um, anyway, she uh, moved, moved there to work as a domestic. Um, in 1882, she married Moses McWilliams, possibly to escape her mistreatment at her brother-in-law's house, where Aww. she lived with her in-laws. Um, sh- they had one daughter, Layla McWilliams, born June 6th, 1885. That's my brother's birthday, too. Oh, 1885. He's so old. He's old. <laughs> <laughs> He's my brother, my great-grandbrother. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then her husband Moses died in 1887 when she was 20. So she was widowed at Damn. 20. Orphaned and widowed by 20. Yeah. And she had a kid. I mean, like a lot. She's packed a lot into this life. Mm-hmm. She then moved to St. Louis and went to work as a laundress, um, which is 
the female word for a, a launderer. <laughs> we don't hear laundress a lot. It sounds more glamorous. It does. It, it sounds much more glamorous than mm-hmm. someone who does laundry. Exactly. So she earned about a dollar a day, and but was determined to make enough money to provide her daughter with a formal education. And during the 1880s, Brie Love lived in a community where ragtime music was developed. She sang at the St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church and started to really like want an education and want something better for her family. I think being around ragtime music like really uplifted her, like being in a new place, like mm-hmm. alone, like kind of going it alone with her daughter. Independent woman who don't need no. That's right. Although she does get married again. <laughs> so, uh, um, as was common among black women of her era, Sarah experienced severe dandruff and other scalp ailments, including baldness due to skin disorders um, in the application of products to like control her hair, like mm-hmm. lye and soaps. Um, and also just like being a laundress and like being around all the chemicals to right. like, wash clothes and stuff. Um, she also had bad diet, illnesses, infrequent bathing, and um, just bad hygiene because of the lack of indoor plumbing mm-hmm. or heating and electricity. <laughs> it's like God a lot damn. of, you need a lot of strikes against it. It was just you know? a hard time to be <laughs> alive. Like, yeah. A hard time to be alive in lots of ways. So she remarried in 1894, but left her second husband, John Davis around 1903 and moved to Denver, Colorado a year later. Um, so her brothers back in St. Louis, which is a reason that she moved there, they were barbers. So they kind of like, taught her mm-hmm. like how to uh, style her hair, um, taught her about hair. So around the time of the um, World's Fair in St. Louis, she became a commission agent selling products for Annie Turnbow Malone, an African-American hair care entrepreneur and owner of the Poro Company. Okay. While working for Malone, who would later become Walker's largest rival. Oh, oh drama. The, the teacher becomes, the master becomes the, the student becomes the nemesis. Master. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she began to adapt her knowledge of hair and hair products to develop her own line. So then, again, she moved to Colorado when she was she was 37 at this time. So she spent a lot of time in St. Louis learning this shit, mm-hmm. uh, selling this uh, product, working for the Poro Company. Again, I don't know what that stands for. Um, didn't Google too far. <laughs> okay, watch out. Um, so she continued to, to again, uh, sell for them, develop her own, her own hair care business, she married Charles Walker in 1906, okay. a year after she moved to Colorado. So she became C.J. Walker. And then she just added the madam because it sounded French. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Madame. That's right. And then she started kind of rebranding as a hairdresser and retailer of cosmetic creams. Um, so again, madam was like the French beauty industry standard. Mm-hmm. If you've seen classy, you have a madam before your name. Good for her. She's, She's like, just like, fuck it. it. I've got a madam now. Yeah. This is who I am yeah. right now. So her husband, who was also her business partner, provided advice on advertising and promotion. Sarah sold her products door to door, teaching other black women how to groom and style their hair. In 1906, Walker put her daughter in charge of the mail order operation in Denver while she and her husband traveled throughout the southern and eastern United States to expand the business. Good for her. Keep it in the family. Like, yeah. In 1908, Walker and her husband relocated to Pittsburgh, where they opened a beauty parlor and established a college to train uh hair culturist. Nice. Which I like. Yeah. I like that. I like that too. It's so much right. better than like beautician. I know. I'm a hair culturist. That's right. Yeah. Let's get a hair culturist on this hair nightmare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It sounds it, it, it sounds like you need to write papers to become a hair culturist. Yes. Yeah. You, know? you need a, a hair thesis. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> hair story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she closed the business in Denver um, 
and her daughter ran the day-to-day operations, and she established a new base in, you're going to like this, Lindsay, Indianapolis. Fuck yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I know her. Yeah, probably. There's a Madam C.J. Walker, I think, like, theater. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about that later. Yes. Yeah, that's why I know her name. I had no idea that she was... um, her famous for her hair products, but yeah, that's why the yeah, name is familiar. I love it. Um, so she established the headquarters in 1910, the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. She purchased a house and a factory at 640 Northwest Street. Does mm-hmm. that mean anything to you? No. Okay. <laughs> she later built a factory, hair salon, and beauty school to train her sales agents and added a lab to help with research. She assembled a staff um, of a lot of different people to assist the company. But uh, again, she really made a point to promote and employ women. Awesome. So it was a high percentage of women. I don't know what the percentage was specifically, but they made a point to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, she trained women to become beauty culturists using the Walker system, her method of grooming that was designed to promote hair, hair growth and to condition the scalp through the use of her products. Um, her system included a shampoo, a pomade to start to help, the hair growth, mm-hmm. strenuous brushing doesn't seem that healthy, but okay, yeah, okay, uh, and applying an iron, uh, applying iron combs to hair. Okay, yeah. So, does that? What is an iron comb? An iron comb is they were when I was in beauty school, mm-hmm. um, they taught us them, but they weren't in use very much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you basically put a, a hot piece of metal into a heater. And then it's used to mostly, mostly super coarse hair to straighten it. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, anybody that has, whether it be like black hair or like Puerto Rican can be mm-hmm. super coarse too. It's to really get that straight, basically. Cool. Yeah. You gotta be careful because it's like. It'll, it'll burn the burn. shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. And you could burn Yikes. a piece of hair off so easily. Oof. Yeah. 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 Yikes. Dangerous. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, she knew what she was doing. If you're a hair culturist, you know what you're doing. Yes. Um, so the method claimed to make lackluster and brittle hair soft and luxurious. Mm-hmm. Um, her line had a lot of competitors. We talked before about the Poro Company, um, but European manufacturers uh, was were huge. Uh, also, Sarah Spencer Washington's Apex System, which okay. I think still exists. Um, anyway. So again, it's like she came up really quickly, got very successful, had mm-hmm. all of these competitors. Uh, the height of her career was 1911 through ni- 1919, and her company employed several thousand women as sales agents yes. for its products. Yeah, they trained nearly 20,000 women as a whole. And again, I'm not sure what percentage of the whole company that was mm-hmm. or not. Um, they had a uniform of white shirts and black skirts and black satchels, which feels a little catery to me, but like, whatever, you know. You know. Yeah. It does um, feel very caterery, though. <laughs> right? Or maybe like a religion. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you do it. You, you identify your hair culturist yeah. and you buy their products. Yes. Um, they heavily advertised in African-American newspapers and magazine. Uh, hopefully the Whirl, which is a St. Louis uh, African-American paper, which is amazing. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, she was even more widely known in the 1920s after her death, after her company's business expanded to Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, Panama, Costa Rica. Holy shit. Yeah. In addition to all of that, she showed other black women how to budget, build their own businesses, and encourage them to become financially independent. Fuck yes. Right? It's like, oh, that's not enough? How about this? I built an empire, but you know what? I'm I'm going to help you you out too. Exactly. How gracious. 
1917, inspired by the model of the National Association of Colored Women, Walker began organizing her sales agents into state and local clubs. The result was the establishment of the National Beauty Culturist and Benevolent Association of Madam C.J. Walker Agents. Wow. Right? Its first annual conference uh, convened in Philadelphia during the summer of 1917 with 200 attendees. The conference is believed to have been among the first national gatherings of women entrepreneurs to discuss business and commerce. Woo. She's not play. Now, during the convention, Walker gave prizes to women who had sold the most products and brought the most new sales agents in. She rewarded them. Um, Her wealth and notoriety increased, and she became more vocal about her views. In 1912, Walker addressed the annual gathering of National Negro Business League, NNBL, from the conference floor where she declared, I am a woman who came from the cotton fields of the South. From there, I was promoted to the wash tub. From there, I was promoted to the cook kitchen. And from there, I promoted myself into the business of manufacturing hair Mm, goods mm, mm. and preparations. I built my own factory on my own ground. Um, Mm. (laughs) Tearing up. Seriously. Um, So she gave a ton to the black community, especially in Indianapolis, um, which again, she gave money to that theater. Um, and she was friends with all of like powerful black, um, uh, figureheads of the time, Booker mm-hmm. T. Washington. Uh, we talked about Mary McLeod Bethune. Yes. Mm-hmm. W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, she did a lot for World War One, the war relief. Um, she established a training camp for black army officers. Jesus Christ. It's just like, what? What else? She, she was just like, you know what? I'm not done yet. Mm-hmm. She joined the uh, New York. NAACP branch, which organized a silent protest parade on New York City's Fifth Avenue. She is nonstop. And just just to remind everybody, while mm-hmm. she was doing all this, she probably didn't have the right to vote. Yeah. Which is crazy. No fucking shit. Yeah. I mean, wow. Um, she gave near more than she gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to orphanages, institutions, and individuals. Ugh. Like I could go on and on about this. Um, she died on May 25th, 1919 from kidney failure and complications of hypertension at the age of 51. Oh, she was so young. Very young. Packed a lot in, like I said. Whoa. Yeah. At the time of her death, Walker was considered to be the wealthiest African-American woman in America. Um, she was she, like Oprah. Right? But also, her uh, estate was only worth $600,000, approximately $8 million in present-day money. Wow. So again, she was the wealthiest black woman but n- not that wealthy no. <laughs> like and also that. considering she gave so much money away mm-hmm. you exactly. know exactly um yeah, at the time of walker's death the average american's annual sa- salary was 750 dollars wow um, right so again kind of giving perspective uh she was super rich but again not compared to like a lot of rich white guys at the time mm-hmm. so she her papers are at the indiana historical society her, she also is a national register of historic places, two of her um, residences, the Villa Lawaro and the Madam Walker Theater Center mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. Yeah. She she did it. And she, she's a legend. Yeah, she is. Um, oh, also, Sephora just re-released um, some of... Uh, wait, let me get this right. Let me get this real right. Uh in 2016, skincare and health and hair care company Sundial Brands launched a collaboration with Sephora in honor of Walker's legacy. Awesome. Uh-huh. The launch titled Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture comprised, uh, was comprised of four collections and focused on the use of natural ingredients on different types of hair. 
she prevails. She does. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so happy to know more about her now. Yeah. It's so interesting, like, knowing her name and being from Indianapolis, but I knew none of that. I love it. I mean, damn. And it's really funny because I feel like almost every time we, we, I think we've told you guys this before, but we don't tell each other who we're doing before we go into it. That was me just learning uh, right now, the same time that you did, who Rebecca was doing. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we're always kind of in the same wheelhouse, which is oh, so interesting. Who do you have? Um, Bessie Coleman. Okay. Who was the first um, woman of African-American descent and the first of Native American descent to hold a pilot license. Oh, oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she was born on January 26th, 1892. Mm-hmm. So around the same time period, yeah. too-ish. Yeah. Um, in Atlanta, Texas. Did not know there was an Atlanta in Texas. No. But you learned something confusing. new. <laughs> Very confusing. Um, uh, 1892, I said that. She was the 10th of 13 children uh, born to sharecroppers George oh. Coleman, who was mostly Cherokee and part African-American, and Susan, who was African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she was two, her family moved to Waxahachie, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and she lived there until she was... That sounds t- like a metropolitan area. For sure. <laughs> there are any tumbleweeds there. <laughs> nope. Um, she began attending school in Waxahachie at the age <laughs> of six. Um, and she had to walk four miles each day to her segregated one-room school. I feel like mm. you always hear those stories like, when I back in my day, I had mm. to walk a million miles barefoot mm, in the snow. Like, yeah, I she, did it. She actually did have to walk four miles. Don't know if it was round trip or there and back, but either mm. way, it's a long walk yeah. for a six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my laughs> The ages uh, during these Lost Boss bitches are never fail to make intimidate me. me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, make me feel terrible about my life choices. Right. Um, so she loved to read and established herself as an outstanding math student. Mm. Um, women like math, guys. Newsflash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she complete, completed, completed all eight grades in the school. Um, and every year, despite... She, she completed all the grades despite every year her schooling was disrupted by the cotton harvest. So mm-hmm. she would have to go and work in the fields wow. intermittently. Um, so when she was 12, she was accepted to the Missionary Baptist Church School on scholarship. Ooh. And then when she turned 18, she took her savings and enrolled in the Oklahoma um, Agricultural and Normal University, which is now called the Langston University in Langston, Mm. Oklahoma. But she could only complete one term because she ran out of money. Mm. So she had to go back home um, after a year in uh, college. But then at 24 in 1960, she moved to Chicago, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. She lived with her brothers and she worked as a manicurist in the White Sox barbershop. Whoa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was there that she was hearing stories from returning um, soldiers from World War I about about flying during the war. Ooh. Um, So she was inspired by it and she took a second job at a chili parlor. Hell yeah. Uh, P.S. Why don't we have chili, chili parlors? parlors anymore? Seriously, guys, I get could, on that. I could really spend some time in a chili parlor. Man, you put that on a hot dog. You put it on some Everything. fries. A chili parlor, potato in a bread bowl. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> chili in a bread bowl. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're just spitballing here. Yeah, mm-hmm. but one of you can take this idea. We give you our <laughs> blessing. But back to history. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so she went to that chili parlor because she wanted to make more money so she could save up to become a pilot herself. Yes. 
Um, but of course, all the American flight schools of the time did not allow women or African Americans. We haven't heard this song in right? dance before. Right? So weird. It's the mm-hmm. first time we've ever heard of this. Mm-hmm. So um, Robert S. Abbott, who was the founder of the uh, and publisher of the Chicago Defender, um, encouraged her to study abroad. Um, she also received financial backing from banker Jesse Binga, who I looked up. He was um, a banker in Chicago that opened one of the first mostly African-American banks Ooh. at the time. Um, I've been holding in a burp the entire time I said that sentence, but now it's gone. <laughs> it's just circulated back exactly. in your body. Now I have that air back in my you stomach. absorbed it, yeah. Um, so she took a French language class at uh, the Berlitz School in Chicago and then traveled to Paris on November 2nd, 1920. Wow. Um, so she could earn her pilot's license. So she learned to fly the Newport, it's like Neoport, (laughs) that's how it's spelled, 82 biplane with, quote, a steering system that consisted of a vertical stick. Wait, did she learn this all in French? Yes. She went to flight school in Paris, France. She's like, well, flying isn't hard enough. I'm I'm going to learn it in a foreign language. Yeah, I'm going to take some French classes and I'm going to go do this thing that's already difficult in a language that Mm -hmm. is not my own. Cool. Just going to try this out. Love it. And you know what? She was successful. Yeah. Um, So the, basically the steering for this plane was a stick that was the Mm -hmm. thickness of a baseball bat. And Mm -hmm. it was in front of the pilot with a rudder bar under the pilot's feet. So she learned to fly using a stick and her feet. (laughs) Insane. And on June 15th, 1921, she became the first woman of African-American and Native American descent to earn an aviation pilot's license and the first person of African-American and Native American descent to earn an international aviation license from the Federación Aeronautique Internacional. Amazing. Yes. Um, When she returned to the States, she became a media sensation um, because, you know, everybody's like, oh, look at that. A woman. A woman who's also a person of color uh, who can fly? What? 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 How? Unfortunately, though, it was an age before commercial flight was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, she was sailing back and forth between Europe and the States. Good God. What yes. is that, like a four month? Like how how long? I just made that A fucking up. long time. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in the middle of the ocean? That's no, right. thank yes. you. Um. So she quickly realized that in order to make a living as a civilian aviator, she would have to become a quote-unquote barnstorm and stunt flyer and perform for paying audiences. Whoa. Yes. Uh, but to succeed in that arena, she had to get more training. Mm-hmm. Um, in Sanskrit. <laughs> she went to Egypt. <laughs> um, but when she returned to Chicago, she couldn't find anyone willing to teach her. Mm-hmm. So in 1922, she sailed again to Europe. Thank you, Europe, for taking on... Always more progressive than our dumbass country. Guys, we're supposed to be, like... I know we're younger, but, like, holy shit. forefathers. We're more diverse. Yeah. What's going on Melting pot, guys. Remember? Yeah. But, of course, that was gifted from France anyway, the Statue of Liberty, Mm -hmm. so... I know. We didn't make that up. We're nobody. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, she went... She got more training... Sailed back to the States mm-hmm. and became known as Queen Bess. Mm. Uh, she was a highly popular draw for the next five years. Um, she was invited to important events and offered in, often interviewed by newspapers. She was admired by both black people and white people and primarily flew the Cur- Curtis JN4, which is called a Jenny, mm-hmm. um, nicknamed a Jenny biplane. 
um, which had been an Army surplus aircraft left over from the war. She made her first appearance in an American air show on September 3rd, 1922 at an event honoring veterans of the all-black 369th Infantry Regiment of World War I. Oh, yeah. Isn't that cool? That's great. Um, So she... Oh, that was held at the Curtis Field on Long Island. Um, It was sponsored by her friend Abbott and the Chicago Defender newspaper. Remember them? Yeah. Um, The show billed Coleman as the world's greatest woman flyer. Mm -hmm. I feel like they could have just called her, like, the best flyer anyway. Yeah. But six weeks later, she returned. Well, she's an oddity. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. It's like, this is a woman in a plane. Can you believe it? Look at that shit. Six weeks later, she returned to Chicago to deliver a stunning demonstration of daredevil maneuvers, including figure eight loops and a near ground dips to a large and enthusiastic crowd at the checkerboard airdrome. So that was another show. Um, The thrill of stunt flying and the admiration of cheering crowds were only part of Coleman's dream. She also never lost sight of her childhood vow to one day amount to something. Mm. Um, So as a professional... uh, Oh, as an, a professional aviatrix, which I love that word, mm, she would get criticized by people because, of course, she would mm-hmm. um, for her opportunistic nature and the flamboyant style that she brought to her exhibition of flying. But it's like, what do you expect? I make some money. What do you Seriously, want? Seriously, yeah. she needs to be like, yeah, I'm a fucking badass. Mm-hmm. Um, but she quickly gained the reputation as a skilled and daring pilot who would stop at nothing to complete a difficult stunt. And in Los Angeles, she broke a leg and three ribs when her plane stalled and crashed on February 22nd, 1923. So she was like, watch this, this motherfuckers. Uh Um, So eventually through her media contact, she was also um, offered a role in a feature length film called The Shadow of Sunshine. Um, It was financed by an African-American seminal film producing company. Cool. She accepted it. (laughs) That feels more progressive than now. However, um... She learned that the first scene in the movie required her to appear in tattered clothes with a walking stick and a pack on her back, and she refused to proceed. Because it was just like, no. Nah. Her, her buddy Doris Rich wrote, clearly Bessie's walking off the movie set was a statement of principle. Opportunist though she was about her career, she never she was never an opportunist about race. She had no intention of perpetrating the derogatory image most whites had of most blacks. Okay. Yeah. So, that, so she was just like, "No, you're not going to paint me like as this stereotype. Stereotype. I'm. I've worked this hard to mm-hmm. be the unexpected and the first of you know her kind, and she wasn't gonna. She was gonna do that. So, um, she didn't live long enough to establish a school for young black aviators, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But her pioneering achievements served as an inspiration for a generation of African American men and women. Um, yeah. Lieutenant. Lieutenant William J. Powell, in his book, um, Black Wings, said, because of Bessie Coleman, we have overcome that which was worse than racial barriers. We have overcome the barriers within ourselves and dared to dream. (laughs) So unfortunately, Bessie passed away when she was only 34. Damn. um, On April 30th, 1926. She was in Jacksonville, Florida, and um, she had recently purchased a new plane, a new Jenny in Mm -hmm. Dallas. Her mechanic, this guy, William D. Wills, Flew the plane from Dallas in preparation for an air show. Um, but during his journey, he had to make three forced landings because the plane was a piece of shit and mm-hmm. it was really poorly maintained. So uh, Bessie Coleman's family was just like, you should not fly yeah. that airplane. It's not in good shape. You could get hurt. And yeah. she was like, I got this. Mm-hmm. 
Bessie, no. Mm-hmm. So on takeoff, Wills was flying the plane with Coleman in the other seat, so she wasn't even flying. Oh. She didn't put her seatbelt on because she was planning to parachute, jump for the next day, and wanted to look over the cockpit sill to examine the terrain. Oh, yeah, of course she did. Lady. <laughs> About 10 minutes into the flight, the plane unexpe- unexpectedly went into a dive and then spin, and Coleman was thrown from the plane at 2,000 feet and oh, died instantly when she hit the ground. Uh, she was ejected from the plane. So the plane didn't even crash. It did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this All is right, it. <laughs> so William Wills, the guy that was piloting it, was unable to regain control and it plummeted oh. to the ground. He died upon impact, impact and the plane, not done yet, exploded and burst into flames. Naturally. Um, so it was badly burned, but it was later discovered that there was a wrench used to service the engine that had jammed into the controls. So it was would have been easily avoided. She was only 34, like I said, um, but she obviously her, uh, her legacy lives on. Um, and she was a fucking badass boss bitch. That's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Well, I want to, I'm going to YouTube some, some, Tricks and footage. Yeah, some, 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 some tipsy doos. <laughs> tipsy doos. That's a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Tipsy do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love her. I, and I love Madam C.J. Walker. All right. These ladies, they are pioneers. They are. So know them, remember them, and t- bring it up at your next party. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Huh? Be like, guys, did you know that Madam C.J. Walker was... The wealthiest African-American woman of her time. Yeah. You know what an iron comb is? Now you do. Now you do. How about that? Burn the shit out of your arm. That's right. (laughs) That's right. All right, guys. We're all learning. We're all learning here together. We are. Mm -hmm. Um, So next week, we don't know who we're interviewing yet. It's also none of your business. Exactly. Be surprised. (laughs) Wow. Vanderpump. Pull it back. (laughs) Pull it back. Um, Rebecca's going to throw a drink at my head. That's right. The minute we get off here. That's right. Um, You watch out for mojitos. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's how Rebecca got her nickname, the flying mojito. That's right. That's right. Um, but we promise it's going to be a badass boss bitch. We do. We promise that. We yeah. make no promises. <laughs> there are no other promises. Absolutely none. Um, but we do our best. We do our goddamn best. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Lost Boss Bitch is hosted by me, Lindsay Harbert Silberman. And me, Rebecca Lieb. We're produced by Sammy Junio, and our music is by Chiffon Mist featuring Cassandra Violet. You can find the podcast at bossbitchpodcast.com. That's where you're listening on iTunes. Instagram is Boss Bitch Podcast. Twitter is Boss B Podcast. Facebook is Boss B Podcast as well. Thanks for listening. <laughs>